0: So last week, um, we looked at the first part of this particular chapter of verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. Um, We looked at the first part of this sentence, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. We only were able to cover the first part of that um, sentence. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Um, And we spent quite a bit of time just trying to understand this concept about joy. This concept that Paul was calling his friends in Philippi to. We learned that believers are to place no confidence in the flesh. We are to place no confidence in the flesh. Though we find that to be easier because of our skill sets and the things that God has given to us and has allowed us to have, we find it easier to place our confidence in each other, in our flesh, in our ability the poor encourages the church in Philippi, do not do that. Those things are good, you use them to glorify Him, but do not do that. That is not your main source. That is not where everything falls and comes together. The flesh. And we also learn that the, if our core is fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then our joy will not be dependent on life circumstances like Marisa with the house and it's not dependent on those things but rather it is dependent on our unchanging king who is consistent. He is the same always, never changing. You guys know the scripture Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And so our confidence, our joy is to be placed upon Him. And if it's placed upon Him, then we will not be swayed. We will not be... And things will come, the winds will blow, the storm will come, but we will stand firm because He is consistent. And so today we will look at the second part of this sentence, of this scripture. And also verse 2. And just by way of reminder that the title of this particular chapter is No Confidence in the Flesh. No Confidence in the Flesh. So verse 1 says this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you It is safe. So the second part says, Paul says, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but it is safe. To write the same things is obviously repetition. Uh, It's not magic. I'm writing the same things. I've been telling you the same things. It is not tedious for me to do this. When Paul was in Philippi, the commentators say that he had disclosed a whole bunch of these things already to his friends, and then subsequently recorded all those things in this letter. The word tedious here means slow or slothful. And the truth is, as you know, repetition is a drag. Repetition, in some ways, is boring. Repetition of, of, sometimes makes us feel, be, become over it. To go back over truth again and again is to plod and slug slowly through details. And see, for most of us, most people, whether you're Christian or not, this is doubt. Repetition almost makes us bored. Paul calls it safe. Paul calls it safe. So for us, it's boring. For us, it's like, what are you doing? What are you saying? I've heard this again and again. But Paul says it is safe. He said, I never tire of telling you to focus on the Lord. I do not worry of reminding you that the source of your joy is the Lord. That is not tedious. Actually, that is safe. That is safety. The reality for us as Christians is that um, we are, we are well versed, we read a lot, we, our knowledge banks are overflowing. We know so much. We know so much more than we ever live. Our knowledge base is, is high. But do we ever live the, the, out that, that knowledge that we, that we have? We hear so much more than we ever believe. Repetition is a good thing. Repetition is a good thing when it comes to implanting the things that God has said to us. That's why the word says that we are to renew our minds by the reading of. Of his word but to renew our minds daily how do you renew your mind is by readings by continuing by going over and over and over again in isaiah 28 verse 10 says this for precept must be upon precept precept upon precept line upon line line upon line here a little, there a little. Repetition. Little bit and little bit and little bit. Last week I made a comment. What are we listening to? What are we allowing ourselves to be exposed to? What, uh, what is our uh, environment looking like? The, the more you are exposed to whatever is coming in, it, it kind of infiltrates. It, it, it's like a little drop, you know, a little drop of water years and years, opens up the ground, opens up the ground. It looks, it looks as though it's harmless, but do that for con- a continuous time, it'll open up the ground. And it's the same with the Word of God. Yeah, so we are encouraged to forever be found reading, studying uh, the Word of God. Now, in uh, church culture, Um, I know that there are programs, you know, they talk about read the Bible in a year. There are programs like that. And those programs are not bad. Uh, They are there to try and encourage us to be found in the Word of God. However, my problem with that is that then we just possibly read the Word of God for a year. You know, you've got a time frame, and so you read it for the fact of reading it. So you can tick the box. I would far rather say, yes, let's work around those, but do not put a time limit. Say, okay, I'm going to read the Word of God. If it takes you 10 years, so be it. As long as we are meditating on the Word of God. And meditation, what is meditation? It's taking in stuff slowly. It's pondering. It's asking questions. It's a dialogue between you and God. God, you've said this. I don't understand. Your word says, says, yeah, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Okay? What does it mean? Am I bound? Maybe a feel bound. But the word of God says that it's for freedom that he has set us free. What does it mean? You meditate. You start asking a dialogue between you and God. Dialogue between each other. We, as we in fellowship together, we're asking questions, we, we are encouraging one another, we don't understand it, and so, you know, God works like that. But the key is that we are meditating, that we are spending time in His Word. See, that is the way we learn. That is the way we learn. Growth, as you know, is a process. Cultivation of the truth entails many application applications to life uh, there's a there's a, a quote of a veteran pastor who said this he said when i first began to preach i was so afraid of repeating myself now i am afraid i won't now i'm afraid i'll just got just just dish out the information and I forget to repeat myself. How much of the message do people understand? How much of what I shared do you understand? How much of that do you take in? With this over influx of information that we have today in the world, you know, you're just looking for something, Dr. Google is there, and you've got a variety of different opinions, how much of the truth do we actually remember? How much do we retain? So Paul says, but for you, my dear friends in Philippi, it is safe. The word safe means firm, fixed, immovable. God is consistent as I said earlier on. He does not change. So he is safe. We can hold on to his truth. He's not going to change his mind tomorrow about the things that he said today. The promises that he's spoken over us as a church, you as an individual, us collectively, those things, if they're from him, they're not going to change. In fact, he's going to see them through because he says that his his word does not return to him void. And so our responsibility is to seek His face and understand what is truth, because there's so many truths out there in inverted commas. What is His truth? And His truth is found in His Word. But also remember that the enemy is clever. He also repeats. He understands the Bible. He does. He understands the Bible, and so he knows how it works. And in all of those things, it causes us to be a little bit confused. A little bit confused. Um, And so we need to be aware of those things. We need to read the Word, we need to engage each other, and we need to ask the right people for the uh, the right answers from the Word of God. Remember... Our final authority comes where, from the Word of God. This is our final authority. This is where we learn from. This is where we get our truth from. Not necessarily from me, or from the next preacher on YouTube, whatever the case. It's not necessary. It comes from you. So you have to check whatever I say, whatever is said, does it align to the Word of God? Repetition is a safety precaution. It keeps people from falling and affords safety and support. Those who communicate truth must go uh, over it again and again. It's like children. If we communicate truth to our kids, we want to teach them stuff. Guess what? You're going to have to keep on repeating. Uh, Grandparents say, I know about this. Parents now, you know that you've got to keep repeating. And it becomes... Somehow tedious, isn't it? But actually, you need to repeat the truth because as you repeat it again and again, it imparts um, in a way that will make its reality stick. And you see, it wasn't just Paul. Peter, Peter had the same philosophy when it came to ministry. Second Peter one. Um, 12 and 13 says this, For this reason I will not be uh, negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are uh, are established in the present truth. So you know the truth, you are establishing them. Peter says "I I will not neglect the fact that I need to remind you of these things. He says, yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent tend to refer into the body to stir you up by reminding you. We have to be reminded. We're almost like children. Children ain't got to be reminded all the time. We too have to be reminded of the truth of God. And so then Paul gets to verse 2, and he says, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutila- mutilation. Another translation puts it this way. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, Paul is, a, is not a very aggressive man. He went through a whole bunch of stuff as we've read uh, and, um, through the, the Word of God. He, he had troubles he had people against him. He had people for him, but people against him. He was shipwrecked. He, he, he went through a series of stuff, but he was not an aggressive man. He was loving, he was encouraging, but also challenging, but in a good way. This is one of the only places in, the, in, the, in his writings that his language changes. Quite a strong language. Beware, watch out for those dogs. You think... You're calling Christian friends dogs? Really? I thought you were a loving pastor, a loving preacher. He changes his language. It's quite, it's quite strong. Now you know if I called you a dog, you would not be uh, very, very impressed, would you? But he says, beware of dogs. We've all seen the signs on fences in, in, as you drive around neighborhoods. Beware of dogs. Pass up. <laughs> Be away. There are dogs here. Enter at your own risk. In that case, in our case, as we look at these fences, these signs, it is uh, dogs that are actually literal dogs that are in view. Be aware of real dogs. Dogs that are there. If you enter, you will be mutilated. You will be sorted out. But this is not a command to be aware of animals, in case you're wondering. It says, be aware of dogs. It's not a command. It says, uh, be aware of animals. No. Hair dogs is a metaphor for false teachers. When it comes to false teachers, when it comes to the things that distort the gospel, that's the only time that Paul gets really upset and really riled up. Now he would say, as I said earlier, in, as we re- read in chapter 1, uh, of those who are preaching the word of God out of selfish ambition, out of motivations or motives that are incorrect for their own gain. He said, do not worry about them as long as the gospel has been preached. Do not worry about them. Let them continue. God would deal with them. Then you go to Galatians and he says, um, those who are preaching out of a place of distorting the gospel, let fire be brought down from heaven. Let, let's curse them. Let the heavens open up and swallow them in uh, paraphrasing. So he says on the one hand, they're preaching the gospel, it's the true gospel. It's okay. The motive doesn't really matter. God would deal with their hearts but if you're preaching the word of God out of a place where you're distorting it and causing people not to be free, people to be bound by religiosity, whatever the case might be, may fire come down from heaven and consume you. He says this. And so here he says actually, hey you, what's up for these dogs? These dogs are false teachers. He's got a major problem against false teachers. And so should we today The dogs, a description of the work of these false teachers, what they were doing. They're called dogs because they act like dogs. Dogs, commentators tell us that dogs in those days were not pets as we know them today. Dogs in the first century were hated animals. Man's best friend in our day was an enemy on that day. The dog was an outcast. They ran through the streets, often in packs, rummaging through garbage. They were vicious, snapping, and anyone who came close, they were not domestic animals. The dog in the first century, to, um, the dog to the first century person was a low life. Can you, can you even picture that? I mean, today dogs are lovely. We, we, we love them. We look after them. We, we care for them. Sometimes so much more than even humans. We, we care for dogs more than we care about the the very people that God has called us to reach out to in today's world. Back in those days, it wasn't like that. These things were vicious. They were were, um, a terror. As a dog tears and devours, so false teachers tear and devour the work of Christ. That's what he's comparing them to. So the picture is, you see how dogs end the first in those times? They were a, 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 a pack of things that caused chaos. This is what he compares the false teachers against the gospel of God to these dogs. These false teachers come and cause chaos, they cause havoc. They attempted to consume his work of grace. False teachers are basically and simply sa- said vicious. They have one thing and one thing to gain self glory. Self glory. And if I can get self glory, if you guys can follow me uh, because I, I, I'm speaking to your itching ears as a word uh, be careful. I get glory. I'm the man. Or the next person is a man, or whatever the case might be, I wanna get from you. Which is totally opposite to the gospel. The gospel says that I don't get from you, but I give to you. And as I give to you, so you give to others. It's a strong, strong statement, eh? You dogs, beware, he says. Beware. And he goes and says, beware of evil workers. He calls them evil workers. So first he calls them, false teachers calls them dogs. He he compares them to dogs, explains about how dogs behave. They behave like that in a spiritual sense and even in a physical sense. And then he comes and says, beware of evil workers. You see, so the, the second description of false teachers is that they were evil workers. They were religious workers. Their religion was deceitful, it was deceitful work. It was deceitful because it distorted the true gospel of, of Christian life. That's why they were evil workers. Jesus, as I read in Galatians uh, 5 verse 1, he says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So it's a statement. It's for freedom that he has set us free. Then he goes on and says, um, stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So in other words, it's a statement Freedom that we have been set free. He says, Stand firm. So, guess what? It's not God who's going to help you to stand firm. It's not Him who's going to do the work. It's you. He says, You stand firm. How do you stand firm? By looking at the Word of God. By being aware of the evil, false teachers. By being aware of the truth. By being engulfed and, and consumed by His work, His writings. By meditating on, on the truth of God how so we stand firm see the legalism was an evil work it was a facade for a real relationship with the lord they were absorbed in self righteousness and human effort are you absorbed in self righteousness and in your own effort. They worked hard at enslaving others in their chains of pride. Pride corrupted their work. This was a warning against the legalistic message. Legalism in today's world and today in the church is rife. Even if in your own heart, if you let your heart loose, you will find that there's legalism in your own uh, life, in your own heart. Oh, you don't pray enough. Oh, you don't read the word of God enough. Oh, you don't do that enough. Are you really a Christian? Are you really saved? Mm-hmm. Does God really love you? Oh, you've gone through the Ten Commandments. Just this, this morning, I broke one. <laughs> Forgive me for chuckling. But I was driving to church, and um, I'm going to confess my sins. And um, we, there's a stop sign, and it's a pretty kind of a stop sign where you kind of stop and go. And um, so I confess I didn't completely stop. I went to the stop sign and then I looked to see whether there were any cars. It's a Sunday morning so it's, and then I just carried on. There were no cars so I carried on. And as I carried on, guess what? Our friends <laughs> were there. They, they were there. Pulled me over. Zach, uh, do you know why I've stopped you? And I tried to convince myself that I actually stopped. In my heart, I tried to convince myself. And I was like, no, I don't know. I stopped. But the fact that I said I stopped before he even asked me means that I was probably guilty. And tracking back, I said, you know what? Actually, I didn't completely stop. I didn't come to, it's not a yield sign, it's a stop sign. I did not stop. So his uh, uh, partner comes, and the guy's like, ah, how much, how much was he charging? And uh, the one guy who stopped me is like, he looks like a decent guy. Charge him whatever he can afford. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, what if I can't afford anything? But you've got a car, you're driving, I suppose you dress fairly in a decent way. And um, somehow the gentleman says to me, Uh, are you going to church? And I was like, yes, yes, I'm going to church. (laughs) And he says, ah, you know what, okay, you can go, you can go. So the mercy of God was upon me this morning. I I confess, uh, I I broke the rule. A stop is a stop. You cannot yield on a stop sign, no matter whatever the circumstance. But, and even in my own self, I tried to, to convince myself in my legalistic way, I'm gonna fight you. It's your word against my word. Do you have a camera? Can you show me that I didn't stop? Actually, it's, let's 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 take this on. But no, that's wrong. It's wrong. I was wrong. But God's mercy saw me this morning and uh, had had mercy upon me. But so, if you have to look at your own life, there's some sense of legalistic attitudes that we carry with us daily. But Galatians 5.1 says that we have been set free. We have been set free. Let us stand firm, therefore, because we have been set free. The number three says, beware of muti- mutilation. They are called mutilators. Now, the description of this one is quite graphic. Um... This mutilation this phrase reveals uh, the message of the false teachers they are mutilators they are distorting the gospel they're causing uh, havoc the mutilation is a reference to circumcision the word mutilation comes from the two words from two words to cut and down it means to cut off. This probably means to, re, uh, to uh, the removal of the foreskin. Paul was using this phrase um, in in a comparison to the Jewish circumcision, in contrast to true spiritual circumcision of the heart. See, the word of God, this word that I'm speaking, or we let me read, this word views any form of legalism as dogs. Any form of legalism as evil work. Any form of legalism as mutilation. Legalism is self-effort. Did you hear that? Legalism is self-effort. It is you versus God's effort. So when you try and with everything you have, your effort, I'm going to make this happen. It's then there's possibly legal, legalistic tendencies coming out, rather than allowing God to make do the effort. See, legalism glories in the energy of the flesh and endeavors of man it mutilates the christian way of life because of legalistic things christianity has become so is it cumbersome it's become so heavy it's become such a drag such a a, uh, a lifestyle that we not necessarily enjoying because of legalism But the grace of God glorifies God, because God does the doing. So we sang about His grace this morning. We've been here saved, however many years we've been saved, it's because of His grace that we find ourselves. Not because of our own effort, not because of our good works, as we know. It's because of His grace, because of His love. And if that's the case, then guess who gets the glory? He gets the glory, not us. See, all three portraits involve false teachers. Evil workers, beware of mutilation, beware of dogs. All three of those represent false teachers. We have a warning for each characterization. So in other words, Paul is saying to his friends, beware of what's going on. Be way." And today the Holy Spirit would say to us, beware of what is out there. The things that you're listening to, the, the yeah, so the, the the time that you spent, the things that you're lying start to be exposed to, beware. Uh, is it are the dogs? Uh, is there evil are there, is there evil work happening there? Are the mutilators? Happening, whatever you're exposing yourself to. What are you listening to? What are you speaking over? What are you allowing people to speak over your life? Beware, he says. The truth, my dear friends, is that legalism is no benign tumor. Legalism. Is a cancerous tumor that will terminate any dynamically spiritual person. Legalistic tendency will kill any spirituality that we have. It's like a cancer. You know, cancer spreads. Legalism spreads. Beware, Paul would say. So leave us with a few questions. The first one, are you caught up in what you offer God? Are you caught up in that? Do you? Are you so impressed with yourself because of the things that you offer to God? Am I so impressed with the fact that I follow God in the way that I do? Do you view yourself? as a spiritual superstar within your own rights? Number two, are you loaded with rules that make you look good in front of everyone, even in front of yourself? Are you out to impress others? Beware. Beware. Spirit of God would say through Paul, Beware. Because self righteousness plunders a powerful Christian life that looks to God to provide in grace. In other words, self righteousness says, I can do it. It's me. It's me. It's me, my ability. So, their ability, your talents, your gifts, Do you look to those and say, oh, I I am good enough? Or do you still um, say, Lord, thank you that I've got these talents. Thank you that you've given me this, this ability. May I use it for your glory. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word, Lord Jesus. Show us, Father, where we have become legalistic. Where we have allowed evil workers, the work of the enemy to infiltrate through in our lives. God, we've allowed dogs to come and rummage through our lives. Show us, God, and forgive us. Forgive us, Father, and then help us, Lord Jesus, to turn back to you. Not out of self-effort, Father, but to allow you to do what needs to be done for your glory, Jesus. Help us, Father, to continue to be vessels, vessels, Lord, that bring glory to your most holy name. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.